0: Welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yardena Azband, our daf of the day, Masacha Beitza, daf mem, page 40, our last daf of Masacha Beitza. It is quite exciting. This is our eighth um, Masachet throughout the daf Yomi that we are completing. Please God, we will continue beautifully with Rosh Hashanah tomorrow. Come join us then and spread the word. You know, people who might not have wanted to dig into Beitza might find Rosh Hashanah. More the cup of tea. Certainly, parts of it are more familiar. Some of it's a bit. It's a really good
1: stuff. Well. I I would encourage your <laughs> friends to join us.
0: <laughs> right, we're gonna have fun. Makes okay. Sense. Here we go with a mishnah. Of course, this mishnah, in classic talking Talmud fashion, this mishnah is on the previous, the very end of the previous daf, and it leads into. I mean, half of it's on the previous stuff, and half of it's in the top of of daf mem page. 40. So, what happens? Here we've got a case of place, and he's got produce in a different place. He's got produce in a different city. The implication here is that it's So, so the residents the, of that city, meaning anyway, where, the, where the food is, right, they joined to make two tchumin come together. Come together right, that's an of tchumin, and that should enable them to then get the food to the owner, the owner to his home, whatever on chag on Yantif. Meaning the whole idea is they want to bring him his fruit lo But the the Mishnah here says they may not take, bring it to him ve'im perutav kamohu. But if the owner himself had made such an error to be able to travel between the place that he is and the place where his stuff is in the other place, in the other city, then the, the same way that he could do that walking with an of Tuklman, so too his produce could go with him and make, the, make that same travel. It's like the way we've seen this phrased elsewhere was, you know, the feet of the owner. So here it's not exactly that phrasing, but it's the same concept. And the same kind of like, how are we going to grapple with the limitations on the given individual? The Mishnah continues, and now I'm on the top of of, of page 40. So somebody who's got guests, right? They've got guests for Shabbat, and the guest lives beyond the Shabbat, okay? Meaning they've come to stay for Shabbos, and they can't get back meaning they know that they can't get back, I assume. Um, so, well, I'm sorry, they couldn't get back. So what they did was to make sure that they would be able to is that they made an of Tchumen in, in advance. they cannot carry like food from their host as, you know, presents or whatever um, on their way home, right? Meaning they make this Erev Tchumen before Shabbat and now they they use it right to be able to go home, but that doesn't mean that they can carry extra portions as presents because they belonged not to them but to the own to the I'm sorry to the host, right? And then once they're the, the property of the host, and how far they can go is like the you know essentially what we said before the feet of the host. <inaudible> Unless what happens is instead of saying, you know, oh, you know, let's sit down on Shabbat and I will serve you or whatever, he said instead he gives in advance of it becoming Shabbat, he I'm sorry, the Chag, we're talking about Chag, then in advance of it becoming Chag, the holiday, he transfers the ownership to the person who is going to do the trekking to the other city and then because that person owns it at the moment that the holiday begins then it's got the right to follow the feet of the person who in fact has already set up an Air of and could go much farther than somebody who has not okay so this is a little bit tricky because first of all we're talking about like why is the person separated from his produce on the holiday anyway and meaning i can imagine all kinds of scenarios where this would happen but none that are seem that they would be so prevalent they would establish case law so that everybody could know what they could do for the next time. So I have some questions on the reality of it, but also I kind of want to know what this is doing here at the end of Masecha I understand that we're a little bit talking about Yentif, but mostly we're talking about Shabbos, meaning because we're talking about the Tchum Shabbat issue. Uh, and, you know, and it also kind of deters the invitation to guests, right, if you're if you well, maybe not. I don't know. It, it seems to me that this is making a whole lot of complications where maybe there didn't have to be any. And then my question is like, is that really in the in the holiday spirit, so to speak? So I, I, again, this is not an answer and a question to be answered. It's just a uh, musing as I'm going through the Mishnah. Now the Gemara here, um, I, let's say, take a, it takes the whole thing a step further. Itamar. So it said that the Amuraim, right. Were had different of, differences of opinion with regarding this case of Hamafkir Peyroteitzel Chaverot, meaning somebody who. This, so this is not exactly the case that we had in the Mishnah, but it's really a close cousin because the the case in the Mishnah says one the person is in one place and his produce is somewhere else, meaning too far away. So this says the case in the in the Gemara says Hamafkir Peirot somebody who leaves his fruit with his friend and kind of denounces his own ownership of it. Presumably he's giving them to the friend. So it ends up being quite a very similar So we saw between the other day because, because he here we've got, got the you know, different, different people, these are Amorim. Amorim. And I guess they're all Amorim. Rav says that the feet, the, the how far can the, the produce go? According to the one who, the friend who is looking out for it now, meaning not the owner. You might've thought it would go as far as the owner goes, but no, it's the one who is watching over it. That person now has the, is the determining factor. And Shmuel says, no, it's going to it's going to be according to the owner. The Azru. Um, let's say that they can each make sense according to their own, own rationale. So what happens? The case then is, it's a whole different case. If you bring your produce, your ox or your laptop, it doesn't matter, right? To a different person's home, The authority, yes, to believe that they're going to watch over it, then the owner of that place, whether it's a courtyard or home or whatever, is going, going to be liable for any damages, any damages if any damages were to happen. So, when then when Rabbi Yehuda Nasi comes and says, Well, the homeowner is never liable for damages, right? This is a principle that he <sighs> a principle unless. He explicitly explicitly says, yes, yes, it is my responsibility to watch. Just because somebody brings something to your home, that doesn't mean you are responsible for the upkeep of that item. Unless you have said, yes, I will look after it. Here it is in my home. And also, I will look after it. Can you imagine your data? Anybody comes visiting, brings you, you know, brings stuff with them, destroys their stuff, but they're going to blame you because it's in your house. It is not that simple. The Gemara is more savvy than that.
1: Yeah, I, I, it's a interesting case. And again, I think they're just sort of like going to sort of these very random cases, but I don't think these are boundary pushing. I think this was like an actual real case. Like this must have actually happened. And you could see why, you know, you invite people over, you need things to be stored at different places. It just, you know, I don't know. Have you ever like used somebody else's freezer or fridge or variant because you yes. don't have enough room? So I feel like this is sort of that version of it.
0: Right. I think that makes sense. And then, of course, the next bit has a whole debate over whether this opinion of Rib Yehuda Nasi is upheld. Right. Like this is not this is halacha that is um, it needs to be resolved, as you say, I think, for the application of what to do. I don't think they're figuring it out on the fly. I think that they have real machlok, a real dispute here. And then the question of how that's going to transfer down through the different generations I think it's very interesting you can trace it through.
1: Yeah. So I'm going to go on to the last mishnah and finish up this Masachat. Um, Woohoo. Uh, yes, it's exciting. Uh, okay, so let's do it. Mishnah begins with Ein Mashkim vishokhatin etamid bariot. So it's like also very random. So you cannot water and slaughter what meat bariota or desert animals. So these are animals that basically would normally graze outside of the town, usually from like Pesach to Cheshvan. So I guess this will be like sort of our uh, nationist start here because we're, we're actually recording this right after we finish <laughs> uh, Rosh Chodesh Cheshvan. So technically it's Pet Cheshvan right now. But the idea is these are animals. They're not fully, they're domesticated, but they're sort of not fully domesticated. They don't come back home every night. They go out to pasture. They're not pets. And, yeah, they're not pets. They spend months outside of the house, basically from Pesach until the rainy season starts in Cheshvan. But domesticated animals, one can water and slaughter. So in other words, the idea is is that let's say you had one of these, you know, uh, you know, desert animals and it wandered in around Rosh Hashanah time. uh, On Rosh Hashanah, you would not be allowed to to shacht it or water, give it water because it wasn't really supposed to be there. So it's muksa because there's no way you could have designated that you would have used it, right? Elohena bayatot, right? So what are considered d- domestic animals? Halanopat year, ones that sleep in the city at night. Those are ones that sleep in the pasture and they're not really ever in town. So then the gemara says, "Lamali lamemar mashkim veshochatin." So the Gemar says, right, which basically teaching us which animals are muksa right? Why do they have to teach not watering and not slaughtering? What does watering have to do with any of this? The muksa issue is really the shchitza. Milsagav mashmalan, right? So, um, you know, so it's basically here, it's just like, it's incidental, right? It's just teaching us, you know, it's just there. Delashke inish lishchot mishum right? A person would water, should water his animal first, and then the afterwards, slaughter it, right adhesion of the skin to the meat when that's not done so it's teaching us something uh, sort of a separate alaka that a person should always water get their animal water first which is very interesting before you slaughtered it because it would actually make it difficult to sort of flay it and and, and get the skin off of it then the gemara goes on to tell us uh you know a little bit more tanu b'yato, which are desert animals which are domestic ones Right? Desert animals are ones that go out around Pesach time. They graze in the pasture and they come in after the first night, after the first rainfall. Which would be around Cheshvan. Right? So these are animals that go out past the Tukhum of the town. But they always come back the to sleep. Rabbi Omer, Rabbi says, "Elu ve'elu He says, "No, both of these are considered domesticated animals. He's bayatod. Ella elohen midbario. What are the midbario? Kosheitzod v'roos bafar. Right, so they're ones that go out and graze in the pasture. Ve'ain They never enter a settled area. Lo biyimorachama v'lo Whether it's the uh, you know summer or whether it's the rainy season. Umi esli the Rabbi Muxa." So then the question is, okay, so for Rabbi huda HaNasi, does he ever have this concept of muksa, right? Rabbi Shimon bar Rabbi Didn't Rabbi Shimon, the son of Rabbi Huda Hanasi, ask of his father, ask of Rabbi, right? Pitsilaitzma Mara, unripe dates, okay, uh, that are basically you know put around to uh, right that are they're basically placed in a basket to ripen until they're you know edible, right? Like you do that with tomatoes or bananas sometimes. L'rabi Shimon ma'ho. According to Rabbi Shimon Yochai, they're talking about here, is it considered to be muqsa or not? la Shimon. So he says there's no halacha of muqsa according to Rabbi Shimon. This was something we learned about in Shabbos. Rabbi Shimon Yochai doesn't even have this concept of muqsa. Ella gero Only for the case of dried figs and raisins, right? Because it's like that, it's that, that alone is their case of muxa because these are fruits. They actually could be eaten fresh, right? And they're sort of purposefully put away in order to undergo some type of drying process. And during that time they're inedible, right? So you sort of have to like, forget about them for a while, right? The same thing. So we would do that with dates. We would do that with grapes. So if you put them in a basket to ripen, right? maybe they weren't totally removed from your mind, right? Because they haven't totally gone from an edible state to an inedible state. They could be permitted. And the same thing with desert animals. They're never really totally removed from your mind, even if they don't return for forever, okay? Maybe they still shouldn't be considered muksa. So the question is, according to Rebu UNSC, why would they have the status of being muksa? right? These meat barrios. Ibai, Ema, right? So if you want, what you could say is honey nami came ke ke, ge dummy. So maybe you would say these desert animals are like dried figs and raisins, right? And when you send them sort of out of town, they're sort of removed from you. The vice, and if you want, you could say, right? The fact that you know here we're saying with the Shimon Kamar, the fact that Rabbi Yudonasi tells his son Rabbi Shimon—a little confusing, too many Roshimons, right? that Rabbi Shimon bar Yachai doesn't accept the halacha of Maksa, okay, only for this case of dried figs and raisin, doesn't really prove anything, but lace lace for life, right? And he says this only in the accordance of Rabbi Shimon, but he himself doesn't actually hold it. He was just explaining the halacha of Rabbi Shimon bar Yachai, it's not actually something that he holds by. Finally, we end, if you want, you could say, right? Right? That he that that he himself that Rabbi Rabbi like Rabbi Shimon doesn't actually hold by muksa, right? But when he was talking about it in this price, he was speaking according to the words of the rabbis, right? Of Rabbanan lidide ein muksa, right? But but he's saying according to his opinion, there's no muksa at all, right? He doesn't hold. He holds like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yachai. ella l'idduch, right? But according to your approach, right, the one that says that there is a halacha of muksa. So, even so, he says, even according to Edwards, that, there is a lach, He says, you have to still agree with me that these animals that go out from Pesach and they don't come back to rainfall, those still should be considered domesticated animals. But the rabbi said to him, they said, No, those are still those. That's what you're going to consider the meat bar yodain. So I, I think it's a very fitting end to this masachet, which really primarily dealt not just with the halachot of Yom Tov and a little bit of Shabbat, but there's a lot of discussion about muksa. So it's interesting, they sort of end on this concept that like maybe there really wasn't muksa at all. So I just thought it sort of undoes all the muksa discussion that happened before.
0: It's like the utmost drama, right? Like it's burying the lead in in all... You know, m- in the most dramatic way possible. Like here, you have learned all this masachet on on yantif. I mean, about yantif and about Muksa and how Muksa's is so serious. So in various different ways. We couldn't have learned the cases of Moksa seriously if we had been holding this machloket in our mind all the way through. Now, obviously, there are people who know this machloket before before they embark on this, so they you can, right? Obviously, I'm just saying that but the, it really the drama didn't
1: come up again until now. It's kind of like a mic drop. Oh,
0: yeah, by the way,
1: a... Rabbi Huda a... might not hold by Moksa at all.
0: Really, it's not a thing. Carry on, go on to Rosh Hashanah. Nothing to see here in Beitza that you've just finished.
1: Well, that's our tap. Da- Uh, please rank us review us on all major podcasts thank you to rabbinique michelle farber for continuing to host us on the Hadram website let us know what you thought about this staff this masachat on our talking talmud facebook page and until tomorrow when we start masachat rosh Hashanah god willing go and learn